This is a message from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll recall that we were incredibly encouraged to learn that Paul prayed that we might know that the power that raised Jesus from the dead took him to heaven, placed him on his throne at the right hand of his Father. That power is at work toward us who are in Christ. He is worthy of all our praise. And I, I don't know about you, but I'm so, so grateful for our worship and tech teams who help us praise and adore God through song week in and week out. Yes, thank you very, very much. So it doesn't matter if you're somewhat new here at Four Mile Church or if you've been here for decades. We always want you to know that it's okay to not be okay. I long for us to be real church. And the reality is that not a single one of us has got this all figured out. We are all in process together to one degree or another, and we all still have sin in us that works its way out of us every day right? Yes, I know I do. And I, uh, I know that my desire, and I pray that our desire together is that, that none of us is content with staying in that not, a, not okay place. But here's what we want you to know. The only way that we become less and less not okay is through the power of the Holy Spirit who draws us to Christ and gives us insight and understanding into the sanctifying truth that is only found in the words, works, and person of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to love you enough to tell you the truth in him every week, even if it's uncomfortable. A few growing pains never hurt anyone, right? And finally, we want to be a church that is on mission. We want to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, and we want to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ in the tri-state region and beyond. And the way we do that is that we simply live out our everyday ordinary lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit to the praise of the glorious grace that is ours in Christ. So we are coming to the end of chapter one in Ephesians this morning, but it's so important to remember that this is a letter, so it's one continuous flow of thought. And in that regard, then, it's rather challenging, honestly, for any of us to, to go from week to week with that continuity 
in the forefront of our minds. And so I just want to hit on some of the important themes that we've covered so far. So first, we do well to remember that the first three chapters of Ephesians are focused on our belief. We covered the first four and a half on the blue side so far. We're finishing up the supremacy of Christ today. And all of those blue theological fundamentals on the left are to govern our behavior in orange on the right. And that's what Paul is going to shift his focus to in the last three chapters. What we believe necessarily drives our behavior or how we live our lives. And that's why it's so important that we know and understand sound biblical doctrine. And that's the primary reason that one of our non-negotiables here is that we will preach verse by verse through Scripture, seeking to understand and know the entirety of the Word of God and to align our hearts and our lives to it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we've covered quite a bit of ground so far. We've seen that it's critical that we understand our identity and are able to answer these three existential questions. Who am I? Where will I go when I die? And why am I here? For Christ followers, our identity can be summed up in two words, in Christ. Paul uses that phrase more than a hundred times in his letters to the early church. Along with the believers in Ephesus, we who are saints, the faithful in Christ Jesus, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in him, but only because God moved first on our hearts. God is always the first mover. We cannot and we will not seek after him or come to him unless he first calls us to himself. In him we have redemption through his blood. In him we have obtained an inheritance. In him we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In all of this, we've seen how each person of the Trinity plays an active and unique role. All things are from God, through God, and to God. The Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He is sovereign, and He's the one who chooses His people. The Son made salvation possible for us. We are adopted as God's children because of the work Christ accomplished on the cross to atone for our sins. And the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts his people of their sin and draws them to faith in Jesus. All so that we might become more and more Christ-like to the praise of God's glory. So you can see that God is in it from first to last. The past two weeks, we saw that Paul was deeply encouraged and unceasingly thankful that the church in Ephesus was on that blue path. He knew that because their faith in Christ was manifesting in genuine love for one another. His prayer for those saints in Christ Jesus and for us is that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would open the eyes of our hearts, that the Holy Spirit would be continually at work, sanctifying us day by day as he counsels, convicts, and comforts us through his word. 
all throughout the course of our lives represented by those white dots. Paul prays that we might know more and more the hope to which we have been called, the glorious inheritance that is ours in Christ and the immeasurable power that is is at work in and toward us who believe. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of God far and above every other ruler, every other power, every other name, that power is at work right here, right now, in every one of our lives. In whatever you're facing this day, don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. God's power is at work in us who believe. God's power is at work for us who believe. Nothing and no one can come against him. Be encouraged, church. All, be encouraged, church. (laughs) Not churched. Be encouraged, church. All of this is true for us in Christ. It always comes back to him, to God. He does it all. From him, through him, and to him are all things. And that's exactly what we see affirmed in the last two verses of chapter one in Ephesians that Hugh read for us earlier. After Paul goes on and on about the incredible, incomprehensible power of God toward us who believe, he goes on to say, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the first thing that we can observe right off the bat is that here again is evidence of the three persons of the Trinity at work. We breezed by it quickly just a minute ago, but I think this graphic is so very helpful in helping us grasp that we worship one God in three distinct persons. The Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Son, The Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. They are three persons, one God. And as such, they each have distinct roles. And we see three of them here in these verses. God the Father has put all things under Christ's feet. Jesus the Son is the head of the church, which is his body. And the Holy Spirit fills us, the church, with his fullness. Three persons, one God, all playing unique and active roles in our lives personally as well as corporately. The second thing to take note of is that seemingly insignificant word, and. I confess that I too often blow right by a word like that without stopping to take the time to ask and to think about what the and is connected to previously because it matters and it informs our understanding of what's said next. What's interesting is that there are actually two more important conjunctions uh, and that we're gonna hit on over the next two weeks. And is the very first word in the next verse at the start of chapter two, and there's a very important but at the beginning of chapter, or of verse four. So do you see how all of this is a single flow of thought for Paul? It wasn't divided up into chapter and verse until well after it was written. Most of the time, the divisions in our biblical texts are helpful, but sometimes they can be a bit of a hindrance when we're trying to ascertain the author's original understanding and intentions. So let's unpack our verses for this morning. And he, the Father, 
put all things under Christ's feet. Remember that Anne connects this assertion to what preceded it. So Paul wasn't able to say enough about the immeasurable, incredible power that is at work toward us who believe. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. It's the power that seated him at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. It's the power that placed Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. It's the power that made his name to be above every other name that is ever named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That power is at work in and toward us who believe, and the Father put everything in all of creation under the feet of Christ. That picture of all things being under Christ's feet is a powerful one. There's a story in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament about a time when the Israelites fought the five kings of the Amorites. Upon the Israelites' defeat of them, the five kings ran and hid in a cave. And when they were found and brought out, it says that Joshua summoned all the men of Israel, and he said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and they put their feet on their necks, and Joshua said to them, do not be afraid or dismayed, be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. All things are at the mercy of the sovereign control and command of Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father. Every person every leader of every nation on the planet under the feet of Christ. Every person in your family, every one of us in this room or listening online under the feet of Christ. Every tribe, every color, the richest, the poorest, the smartest, the brightest, to every newborn baby under the feet of Christ. All things, every circumstance, of each and every one of our lives. Every, every trial we have ever faced, past, present, or future. Every affliction, every diagnosis, every heartache, every temptation, every joy, every sorrow, every win, every loss, all of it, every single bit of it, under the feet of Christ. There is nothing that happens outside of his sovereign and providential reign. There is no one and nothing that is above him. The author of Hebrews stated it pretty clearly as well. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. So stepping outside of the text for a moment, I've got to believe that there are more than just a few in this room this morning who are thinking, if that's the case, then why? Why does so much evil still exist? Why are, are things such a mess in this world? Why are there not more Christians? If everything is under Christ's feet, why still such senseless violence and destructive forces of nature? Or maybe it's more personal for you 
If Jesus rules and reigns and everything is under his feet, then why did he let me get sick? Why did he let my loved one die? Why have my kids gone completely off the reservation? Why can't I get pregnant? Why didn't he stop me from getting injured in that accident or being abused by that person who was supposed to love me? These are real questions. They're hard questions. There's no possible way we can fully or adequately answer them right now. But if you wrestle with those kinds of questions, and let me assure you, we all have to one degree or another. But much of what gets us so confused is that we far too often seek to understand God through the lenses of our circumstances, be they personal or global, and it has got to be exactly the opposite. Everything we seek to know and understand about life, everything we seek to know and understand about who we are and about why things are the way they are, every question we wrestle with throughout the course of our lives, it's got to be understood through the lens of who God is and what He has revealed to us about Him in His Word. It all starts and ends there. A healthy fear of the Lord is the beginning and end of all our knowledge and understanding. We know that God is sovereign. We know that God is good. We know that He is everywhere present. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. We know that He is love. He is holiness. He is truth. He has created and is sustaining the entire universe. Everything is under His feet. For the time being, though, there is still profound brokenness all around us. Even if we are in Christ, we still wrestle with the sin that remains in us. Even if we're in Christ, we're still affected by the sin of everyone around us. And we're still part of this world that is brimming with darkness and rebellion against God. Not only that, but our very real enemy, the devil, he's still, prow he's still prowling around like a, a lion looking for people to devour. For the time being, all of creation groans with eager expectation for its creator to return, to fully and finally restore every single last thing that has been broken, every single thing that has been wrong. We have a taste of that restoration and that redemption that we have in Christ right now, but it's just a taste. Friends, I promise you, if you are in Christ, the best is yet to come. Paul addresses all of this stuff. As a matter of fact, make every effort to be here or tune in next week as he really begins to unpack some of this in chapter 2. So let's get back to our text. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. 
So this is the first time in Ephesians that Paul mentions the church specifically. And when he does, he uses the metaphor of the body to help us understand who we are together in Christ. So think about your own body. There's no part of you that's any less part of your body than any other part. And there is such continuity between all of our parts that it's virtually impossible to tell where one part ends and the next one begins. Church, we are not loosely connected to Christ or to one another. We, all of us, together, we are in Him and He is in us. There is an indissoluble, living, intimate connection between us, and that is just mind-blowing. The body of Christ, or the church, is made up of all those people, past, present, and future, who have or who will place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Somewhere along the way, I picked up this habit of calling it the big C church and the little C church. David and I, actually, we kind of debate about which is which. doesn't really matter, but when I talk about the big C church, I'm referring to, you know, everyone everywhere who has a personal relationship with Jesus. So believers in Australia and China and Brazil and Canada and us here in little podunk USA, we're all part of the universal big C church. But the little church, the local church, is made up of the smaller localized ministries that are scattered all over the place. So Four Mile, Northway, Pathway, First Prez, uh, Mount Calvary, Bridgewater, all, all those local churches, right? We're all made up of the universal church, but none of us is the church on our own. But universal or local, Christ is our head. Think about it, all the supremacy, all the power, all the dominion that God has given to Christ, all of it was given to be used on behalf of us, the church, because we're His body. And as our head, He is our example. We are to love as Christ has loved us. We're to serve as Christ has served us. We're to forgive as freely as He forgives. We are to die to ourselves. We're to humble ourselves, pour our lives out for others because that is precisely what Christ did for us. As the head goes, so goes the body. And as our head, He also gets to call the shots. He's in charge because He holds all authority. That's what we've been reminding ourselves for several weeks now at the end of our services. Go, make disciples, Jesus said. Make me known on this earth. We have been set apart, church. We are Christ's body, boots on the ground, as it were. We have a role to play in the working out of God's plan in this universe that incredible power that we talked about last week and that it's at, that's at work in us toward to believe, it's not only working in us and for us, but it's working through us because that's how a body works, right? The power that God, that was exerted in Christ when God raised him from the dead and made him head over the church is now at work in and through us, his body. And as his body, we are to make him and his kingdom known on the earth. 
God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In a letter that Paul wrote to a different local church, he said, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Y'all, do you you understand what was just said there? It is incredible. The fullness of God dwells in Christ, and Christ's fullness has been given to us. So that means that the fullness of God dwells in us, His body. That is beyond comprehension, but it's true. And together we are to reflect and embody the fullness of God to one another and to the world around us. So the fullness of God is the totality of everything God is, right? His attributes, his character, his perfection, his holiness, his power, his love. The fullness of God is his complete nature. It's who he is. It dwells in Christ and Christ dwells in us. I mean, just like I did a few minutes ago, the whole time I was preparing for this, I just, my mind just kept being blown. I think it's emoji worthy. Don't you think? Yes, you're welcome. I think we need to get that up there on the wall, right? It could be our new logo for Ephesians. Not really, not really. But, but it's mind-blowing, isn't it? Do we understand this truth? This is who we are. It is our identity together as Christ's church. Christ supreme over the universe. Christ, head of the church. Christ, the fullness of God in us, his body. And little by little, through our everyday, ordinary lives, empowered by the Holy Spirit in us, he takes this fullness of Christ in his body and he fills all in all, every corner of the globe. I love how one commentator wrote that the body of Christ on this little earth is to be a kind of bridgehead established by God from which Christ marches out and uses us, his people, to accomplish his purposes. His power at work in and toward and through us is now meant to draw the whole creation into his fullness. And that links us all the way back to what we learned in verse 10, that all of this is according to God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What a plan God has ordained in and through Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your church, for your brilliance, for your wisdom. We are grateful for your living and active word. We're grateful for your power that is at work toward us and for your spirit who fills us with your fullness. Like Paul, Lord, we cannot cease to give thanks for you. We ask that you would strengthen us to go 
Help us, Father, to be filled with your joy because of what you have done for us in Christ, so much so that we cannot contain it. May everything we do be done because of all you have already done for us. Help us to be the church as you designed us to be. In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. So for our response time, I'm going to throw this slide up that you've seen lots of times. These are our 12 pillars. This is how God has designed his church to flourish. No one pillar is more important than another. Every single one is meant to work in tandem with all the other ones to reflect the fullness of God. And every single one of us who are members of his body, we have a role to play. So if you joined us last week, you might remember that I gave you an example of another way that you might pray and consider praying for one another. You could take whatever sermon text is used uh, Sunday morning and you can pray with one another, with and for one another before you leave. Or you can pray with and for one another over coffee during the week or at dinner uh, with your family. Again, just another way that we can pray powerfully and effectively. But we're going to give you a chance to do that this morning during our reflection time. By all means, you are more than welcome to pray quietly to yourself. That is, that is beautiful. Um, but if you'd like to, you're also welcome to pray with the person beside you or across the aisle. We just want to encourage you to consider that together we are the local body of Christ called Four Mile Church. Jesus is our head. And we're all hands and feet and elbows and mouths and arms and all the things. Every single one of us a vital part. So, I, so pray together that you might know which pillar to get plugged into and where God is urging you to do your part. It's the courage and the faith to take your next step toward Christ together with all the rest of us for the glory of God. 